1981, I was in a one parachute battalion. Uh, we were fighting the war in the southwest African borders. We fought against Russian, Cuban, FNLA, MPLA, and SWAPO forces in, um, in the north of southwest Africa. Um, many of you know this generation doesn't know what your fathers did. You know, there's been a lot of lies being told. We were always outgunned, always outnumbered, fought impossible odds. Few of us stood against many, against communism and the forces of communism that were against us. But uh, we never lost a battle in all the years that we fought. Not one battle was lost by South African forces. I remember even with just one operation, we did an Operation Protea, that uh, we fought 2,000 of us against 20,000 enemy troops and we put them to flight. You know, that we were able, your, your fathers were heroes of our age. I'm 60, that's 10 years younger than me, and any older than me would have fought on the border in those days. We fought Russia to a standstill. We took um, rugby uh, fields of weapons from the Russian forces. We took tanks, we took the latest equipment that they gave it to America. America was shocked by the equipment that we were bringing in from, from Russian uh, uh, supplies and things like that. We fought Cuba to a standstill. At the end of the war, 1989, what you don't know is all wars were won. There was, they were defeated. Russia left, Cuba left. The Cuban general was shot because of having failed by, Cuba, uh, by Castro for having failed in that war. Yeah, and Russia withdrew, having lost billions and billions of rands of equipment. I myself saw rugby field size of equipment being driven out of the operations that we did against Inonjiva, Zambonga, and areas like that in 1981. And uh, so I just want to say one thing, you know, that a lot of lies are being told about your fathers. A lot of them were heroes. There's no walls of fame for us anymore, but we did something incredible. They say the South Africans were a direct result of the fall of Russia, actually. We, we played a huge part in it. We embarrassed them so greatly. We, we defeated them so badly. We took billions of dollars of tanks and equipment of them, you know what I mean? And, and, and gave them a hiding that they could never have realized. I think Dr. Peter Hammond does a lecture on it. But uh, that's where I came from. Uh, in 1981, I was finished. I came out of the army, I got lost. I didn't know, you know, I just couldn't fit back into society again. Um, I loved the military, I got, couldn't get back in, sort of drifted and landed up uh, with five armed robberies, one bank robbery. Uh, I had a vision of going to the foreign legion, which is where I was heading to, but uh, I somehow lost my way and I was arrested by Brixton Murder and Robbery Squad and sentenced to 30 years imprisonment, 15 years concurrent to 15. And at the age of 23, I went to prison. Completely lost. Even my family, my foster family at that time, they didn't even know I was in prison for two years. You know, I was estranged everybody around me, and I was sent to the maximum classification prison, Sondervada prison, in those days when the prisons were still black and white. So, in, in prison, about two year or, uh, uh, years into uh, prison, uh, Christ found me, you know, when I didn't know that I was so lost, you know, that Christ found me there, and uh, out of a thousand men, there were only me and another guy were a Christian, the guy led me to Christ, and uh, I became a, a, a Christian under those circumstances, 
and learned to serve Jesus and saw the power of God manifested in great ways uh, behind bars in a, in a very dangerous prison. And uh, God kept me all through those years and I've been saved ever since. So that's 1985, I'm about 36 years in the faith. I've been, uh, uh, you know, fortunate to serve God mostly on the front lines of ministry somewhere. I've always been dedicated to the Lord Christ and rescued me so greatly. I owe my life. Absolutely. It's not even a question. It was never a question after that. And I serve God with everything I have because we are warriors for Christ. Christ didn't give us armor, swords and shields to do nothing with. We have to fight the great enemies in the spiritual realm, defeat them and drive them from the battlefields. And that's what your calling is here. We are throwing you the torch. We have our armor dented. We have been through many wars. We have fought the devil on many fronts. Any Christian that's an old Christian here has got armor dented, has been betrayed in the house of his friends, stabbed. We carry deep wounds from the ministry. But I want to tell you something, we still love Christ. And we are still serving God until the day we die. We will carry the flag of Christ wherever we go. But our, our days are coming to an end and we are throwing you the torch. You are the church now. You need to wake up and put on the armor of God. Because without the armor of God, you are not going to defeat the forces of hell that are unleashed on this earth. You're going to need shining, strong armor to be able to do what God's work here on this earth. You need to grow up now. You're at war now. If you, have, if you didn't understand that you're at war now, I'm serving you notice. You're at war. You're at war against enemy forces in your universities, in your schools, in our governments, everywhere around us. Are their enemies great and terribly dangerous? And the enemy does not shoot rubber bullets. We are often wounded in battle. We are often, sometimes we, are, we have to lie down and recover and get up again. But we do that. And, and we are painting Christianity like it's some kind of walk in the park. I want to tell you something. I'm 36 years in the faith. It is not a walk in the park. It's what God is calling you to. A higher walk. The young Moravians at 18 and 19 took their gravestones to Africa. They just left the date off because they knew they weren't coming back. Where are those Christians there? We can't even get them to go into outreach. You need to wake up, blow the trumpets. You are going to go into the worst battle of the last days that we couldn't even imagine. We are seeing things we never saw in our day that you are going to have to face now. But it will be radical Christians that will overcome the enemy. You can't play it. You can't part-time Christians cannot defeat full-time devils. I just want to tell you that right now. Because it's devils you must fight against. In human form. You're going to look in the face of devils. But we will drive them from the battlefield. Amen? Yeah. We're we going, we going to win and not lose. That's another sermon. <laughs> it's not in my notes. But you know, I just thought I'd share that with you. So, at the age of 23, lost and alone, Jesus found me and rescued me spiritually and placed me in his great kingdom. Where I found vision, hope and purpose. I didn't know what I, I was lost in my life. I didn't know 23 what I wanted to do. Since then I've had the great honor of being involved in outreach to some countries in the East, namely to friends of mine at an underground church in Muscat in Oman, Sri Lanka, India and the Philippines. I'm surprised that the sermon that was most in demand overseas there is the one I'm giving you today on vision. Who would have thought? 
That's what they asked for. They said, please, can you do that sermon? So I'm going to share that with you today. Because churches and people today lack godly vision. So what is vision? Vision is the revealing of God's plan to the mind of man for him to undertake and complete it. It is godly. God's vision is great. It's going to scare the living daylights out of you. I want to tell you that right now. And that's good because then it's God's vision. You can't do it on your own. You know, you're going to, it's going to be something that you have to strive or pray your way through. None of us are accidents by nature. We've been created by God for a purpose. Our creative ability is a transferred attribute from the Lord, which He desires us to exercise in order to discover creative ways in which to fulfill His purpose for us. Clear vision is what has propelled outstanding leaders to forge ahead with the destiny of the nation and overcoming all kinds of adversities. You can walk into any great business today and there on the wall you'll see that vision. The world has understood vision. They teach it to their employees. They can say it off by heart. Most of the great companies of the world. Ask any employee what is the vision of the company they'll tell you. They, most companies, every great company is driven by vision. And then they have a mission on how they're going to achieve their vision. So vision means having a clear idea of what God wants us to accomplish. By faith we need to enter the spiritual realm through prayer and waiting on God to receive the vision. And then bring it into the natural realm with the help of the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely essential that you have vision. Proverbs 29:18 reminds us, where there is no vision the people perish. You've got no vision, you will perish. The Hebrew word translated vision is chazon, which means a divine revelation. Without this people perish, that means they're in confusion or without restraint. One of the greatest sermons I ever heard was from Dr. Albarnard. Never heard a greater sermon than on vision. Absolutely blew us away. He was supposed to have been aborted when he was young and his, his mom kept him and he became this great doctor and speaker in the world. But the one thing he said has stood with me all these years. He said this, A man without a vision is a man without a future. And a man without a future will always return to his past. And he gave an example of which I understood. He said, it's like a man in prison. He's got no vision. He's finished his time now. He's done five years, four years. He comes out to the gates. Of the, he's let out at the gates, but he has no vision. Stands in, he thinks, what am I going to do now? And because he has no vision, there's no future. So where does he go? Back to his past. Back to Hillbrook. Where all his friends are. What happens? Two years later, back in prison. And the cycle continues like that. A church or a Christian with no vision will also have no future. And they will also go back to their past and do what they did before. If you didn't have vision this year and you did the same things you did last year, you can have the same outcome this year. Absolutely nothing will have changed. And this will continue and continue until you're quite bored of life. Actually. And you'll end up going back to your past. Back drinking with the boys, carrying on now because you have no vision. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9.26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. He's obviously watching the boxes there in, 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 in Rome, you know. 
and he sees how they train and a boxer has to train very specifically because you've got to last 15 rounds in the ring. Now, I used to train with a fighter in prison and it's one of the most tiring things you can ever wish to be in is a boxing match. Because every time you miss an opponent, you tire. So the, the, the guy tries to make you, he'll duck and weave and whatever, to make you swing at him with full force all the time. But each time you're doing that, you're expending energy. And you're getting weaker and tireder. And as you get tired in a boxing ring, from here your hands drop to here. And that's just what he's waiting for. That's how boxers fight. They try and wear you out. So Paul says he doesn't fight like that. Every shot he hits, he's hitting with purpose. On the head, on the jaw. Otherwise, he holds his punches and he waits his time to the stomach, to the uh, to the jaw. Every punch must count. We've got to be excellent, and us in our life, we've got to learn to fight like that. We've got to be like that in our life. We can't be like most churches and people today that climb in the ring and they swing wildly, hoping to hit the devil in the ring sometime. And now and again, they catch a glancing blow. You know. But he's just laughing and dancing around them and making them tired. How many churches do you know that are tired? No one does outreach anymore. No one's, there's no missionaries being sent. They're just tired and weary. And the enemy has worn them out. They have no vision. So we've got to learn to be on target, accurate and excellent in our lives and in our ministries. This can only but be done by having a vision written plainly so that all can see and run the race set before us. Bringing that scriptures in Habakkuk 2.2, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that reads it. That's what the Lord told us to do. So we've got to learn to do that. When we understand our own person, we need to have our own personal vision, we need to have a church vision and a personal vision. And when we write it down, we can plan or accomplish our vision. You know, we've got to get focused. You, you are fighting a dangerous in principalities, powers, rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Four levels of the demonic kingdom that are against God's work on this earth and you. They have one plan for you. Steal, kill, or destroy. That's their plan for you and your family and your children. Steal, kill, or destroy you. Anyone will do. Destroy is good, kills better. But how many of our youth are killing, killing themselves today? It's like shocking what's going on. Hey, youth suicides all the time. Where's the church? Why are we not reaching these youngsters? We don't show them the face of God and we don't show them the army of God. Have no hope. We need to have vision and have and show people hope. So we could write a vision for our studies. We could set a target and work out how to accomplish that target and achieve it. My daughter's uh, got a master's law degree. She started her first law job today in Johannesburg. You know, to, uh, for an international law firm. We taught this to her from young, and that's how she grew up. Focused, vision, driven, doing the impossible. So, we could write a vision for our spiritual life, read the Bible in a year, get a plan to do it. I should hope we were reading the Bible in a year. I remember reading the next step from Jack 
took publications when I was a new Christian. He said, um, he only gave like in his Bible five chapters a day. He says, I've got a friend who glows with the presence of God. He reads 20 chapters a day. So I read as an early Christian 10 to 20 chapters a day. That's what I thought was normal Christianity. That's getting the word of God into us. Not learning, reading it. Letting it wash over me. We, we're getting vision now. You, you're entering in a world of great danger. This week past, you encountered demonic forces in people or in situations, and you didn't know it. You didn't even know it. You looked in the eyes of people that were demon-possessed. You spoke. You had situations happened to you where the enemy tripped you up. But you didn't know, even know it was the enemy. We have an army who has no clue of the ways of the devil. Which the Bible warns us to know. So we get a vision for our spiritual life. Read the Bible and you start there. Join uh, the work of God. With all your hearts. Find churches. You don't like the church, you get another one. Join it. Bring your swords and your shields to the, to the captain of the, the army in that church and you lay down and say, I bring my swords and our shields to this church. We bring, we bring in warriors here now. And we will serve God only as long as you serve God. Don't serve God, we will be your worst enemies. Because we are God's army. It's like Joshua when he met the angel outside Jericho. Are you for us or against us? And the angel looked at him and said, neither. In other words, God has sent me here to be with you. But if you turn against God, I will be your worst enemy. I'm on God's side. That's how we should be as Christians. You know, and we should do something for the Lord. Help the weak. I've never seen the world in this situation. I've never seen so many weak Christians in my life. 20 years ago, there were lots of strong Christians. Now, we're babysitting old Christians all the time. Stretcher bearers in the church are carrying them into the hospitals instead of the lost. Come on, let's do something crazy for God this year. How about that? Eh? Let's just, like the battle against the orcs, put our armor on and charge into the middle of it. You know, like David's mighty men. You read the story of David's mighty men. I think immense odds they fought. Always. Why did God show that to us? David and Elysia are standing in a, with an army against the Philistines are coming towards him. The, whole, the church runs away. The believers. The, the Israeli army runs away. And those two say, we're not running. And they pull their swords. And they read it in David's mighty men. They stand there and they hit that army until God makes them fight each other and kill each other and run away. We, that's what God's calling you to be that hero. That's why we are given those examples. Of great men of God standing up against immense forces. So we can, we can write our visions and set goals to achieve our vision. There's a quick story. In the 1840s, two young men came to America from Germany. The older of the two was skilled in making sauerkraut. He immediately headed for the west coast. He bought land, cultivated and raised cabbage for sauerkraut. The younger brother had no skill, no profession. He decided to go to mining school in Colorado. When he finished, he went to visit his brother. His brother was proud of his business and took him to see all that he had accomplished. As they walked, he noticed that the younger brother had stopped and was kneeling. 
He ceased to pay attention to what his older brother was saying and just sat there rubbing the soil in his hands. The big brother came over and said, you're not interested in my work and you have no interest in what I've accomplished. And the younger brother stood shifting some rocks in his hands. He said to him, do you know what these are? They're just quartz. Yes, but these yellow flecks are gold. You're raising cabbage in a gold field. And that's a true story. It was the beginning of the great gold strike in El Dorado, California in 1845. What I fear is that most of our churches, in most of our churches, we contend to raise cabbage in a gold field. In a gold field. That's what we do. We're raising cabbage in a gold field. We've withdrawn. And like a Philippines when I was there, I said, what's wrong with you guys? You know? They never on outreach. So churches are full of women and children, no men. I said to them, you've withdrawn in your church. You've built walls around your churches. You're hiding in it from the, from the enemy. When I was there, the Muslims were attacking the nation with car bombs. You even knew. I didn't even know that when we went there. They're under attack. And, and a general wrote in the news that we're losing the war. Christians hiding from the battles. They were so shocked when I spoke to them like that. I said, you guys, have, you've withdrawn from the fight. Go to the streets. Go talk to the people in the streets. We are lost. You know what I mean? Make it your purpose. You know, on a sidebar now, I shouldn't be doing this because my time's going to run now. But, you know, there were some mountains. I said, let's go there. We want to go there. They said, no, we don't go there. I said, that's where we want to go. You know, we're not here for nothing. We want to go up those, like hills, they call them mountains. We went up there. Kids came out the forest from nowhere, you know. We led them to Christ. I pointed to some hut on the top of the hill. I said, who lives there? He said, no, that guy, he won't listen to you. You, know? you, you can forget about it. I said, that's where we go. Had him giving his life to Christ in 15 months. This is no army. No one's going. The harvest is white. Laborers are few. Too scared. Why are our universities burning like this? Where's the army of God? Who went, should have gone and stood in the middle of the burning and just started praising God there in the midst of all the riots? So they kill one of us. So they hurt one of us. So what? Your hurts will lead to thousands being saved. We're not willing to place ourselves in dangerous way for Christ. When that's where we belong, right there. We should find the most dangerous situation to say, let's go there. We should do outreach in the parklands in our area and some of the worst blocks. We say, which is the worst block? Let's go there. So we go, there's drug lords. You're climbing over the guys fighting you in the streets. But within weeks, we got cell groups in there, and the whole place has changed, the whole Bible. And the people tell us, the whole atmosphere has changed in these blocks. We need to go to the worst place. During the Black Plagues, the Christians ran to the fights. Go read up on it. I read up on it. They didn't run. They went straight to the cities and died there with the other guys holding their hands. And all the world was astounded at the Christian church. They knew they were going to die, but they went in. Not counting their lives as nothing. Right, I'm going to run out of time now. Okay, so the characteristics of a God-given vision. It is the motivational force of outstanding leaders. God's vision produces conquerors. A real leader doesn't stop until he finds out the purpose of God for his life 
and uses all his abilities and resources to fulfill it. Our vision must become our driving force. We should eat, sleep, drink vision. And we achieve it no matter what the cost. No matter what. 1 Corinthians 9.24-25 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may be obtained. It's likened to a race. You've got to train hard to run a race. You've got to eat the right things. You do the right training. You've got to get up early in the morning. And they do it for a worldly crowd. But we, we don't want to get up early 5 o'clock in the morning and spend an hour in prayer and with God. That's running a godly race now. Saying, Lord, send me to people that we can help. Let me, and then you go in faith. You know, that's true. You've got to train to be a soldier of Christ. You've got to, the Bible speaks of the weapons of our warfare. I can give most of you a mag machine gun right now that can mow down enemy soldiers like nothing. But now, most of you will not be able to use it at all. You don't know where to switch it on even. Or how to load it. I'm not trying to be ugly here. It's just the truth. But that's the same with the weapons of God, the weapons of our warfare. God has these incredible weapons of warfare that are designed for any situation that we might find ourselves in. But if you don't know how to use those weapons, they're utterly useless to you. You'll be ineffective against the enemy. And be defeated on top of it. And have this great weapon of God that you have no idea how to use. You got, that's why Paul speaks every three times in the New, New Testament. Compares a Christian to a soldier. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Hardness means getting up early, doing the things you don't want. Saturday you want to be with your friends, but we, we're going to go down to the local uh, uh, traffic circle where the women are being trafficked and talk to them. Doing things you don't want to do for God, but you, you, you want to obey God, so go do that. Costs you something. You know? So run that you may obtain, and every man that strives for mastery is temperate in all things. Now Paul says they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. We are running a race for an incorruptible crown. And in, na in nations uh, where this church is like this of God, where they run the race, they try to outdo each other in good works, it's, but in a, not in an ugly way. So and says so one ten people to Christ. He thinks, I'm going to go win 12. Off he goes. You know? And he brings in the 12. And then the other one says, you got 12. You know, I need to actually work hard. They're going to the street. It became the biggest church in Bogota, 650,000 people. Working like that. Run the race. You're running a race. You're going to get a crown for it. A Christian should always be running, never standing, running to obtain something, striving for mastery. I said, sin, what, what, are, what have we lost our minds that we've... We've, we've given up with sin in our lives, born, all this stuff that's unbecoming to officers of Christ. It's, it's what, what are we even doing with that? We are holy warriors. We're warriors of God. If our old knights of old, whether they're Catholic or not, it doesn't matter. The Templar Knights, it was probably the only church in the world. Young men came forward giving their lives to Christ, to the service of Christ. They gave up wealth. They gave up everything they owned. All they owned was a sword, a shield, an armor that was given to them by the temple. They fought God's battles, protecting the pilgrims, helping the sick. And I, I often think, geez, I would have loved to have been one of those guys. You know? 
That's all I'm doing, serving God all day. You know what I mean? And fighting the great wars of the kingdom. But where are our knights today of God? Holy warriors. We don't, we don't look at porn and talk nonsense. We are frightening to the world. I want to tell you that. Because we are not like that. When we in the, in, in that with, the, with the world, they know we're Christians. Because we, we don't swear like them. We don't talk like them. We're never defeated. We're always praying for them. We're always helping them. They're always coming to us. I don't know how many people with COVID we've been to pray that are not even Christians and that God either healed or brought through very quickly. We lost no one who gave glory to God afterwards. You know, we, we're going to be something better than we are. Pledge to be a better Christian this year. It's my, often my prayer, Lord, I want to be a better Christian this year than I was last year. Help me to be better, more holy, separated up to Christ. Let me tell you something, if you're busy about God's work, you haven't got time for porn and all this other nonsense that we're getting ourselves involved in here. It's conduct unbecoming for an officer of Christ. We're going to shine like the, like the sun. And if you fall, we'll pick you up. So, strive for mastery. Everything we do in our life, whether studies or sport or play, we do it excellently and to the glory of God. God demands excellence from us. In your studies, you should be excellent. In the sport you play, you should be excellent. All the world should see that you're a Christian and you're excellent in what you do. Because God is excellent. When He created the world, it was excellent. I heard a lecture by one of the greatest, uh, the greatest speakers of the world many years ago here in Cape Town. And one of these spoke on, on work, on what work is. And he says, we know God through His work. We look at at the, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the seas, and the power of the, the world, and the animals, and we go, wow, check who God is. So he says, we know God through his work, and we know you through your work. Your work reflects who you are. So we should be utterly excellent. I'm in a construction business. Many clients have said, who, the one client actually said to us, who are you guys? Because we don't drink, smoke, swear. All my men are Christians. They, they work excellently. Because we're doing it to the Lord, not to the world. Be that Christian as well. Excel in your studies. I want to tell you, God will help you if you ask Him. And you pray over your studies before you do it every single time. You pray about it. You commit it to the Lord. And you then study it to the glory of God. And you'll be shocked at the results that will come at the end. Sidebar, I was terrible at school. I was thrown, I was in boys' homes. Uh, I got thrown out of two schools. Uh, you know, I was very naughty when I was a young man, which hence prison was the destination that I was heading to in the long run. But, and my school was terrible. I, I can't pass matric, but a real rubbish matric like economics and no maths or science or anything. You know? One of those matrics you just make, you know. And I had a problem counting, man. I couldn't count in my head, and I don't know why, you know. I had a, quite a bad past. Uh, you know, I grew up in a bad situation. But when I became a Christian and learned the things I'm telling you about excellence, I studied in prison. Now, me, studying. But I did, I read the Bible every time I studied. I, I gave honor to God. I asked God to help me. And I got a distinction in Mokotalo. 
from nothing to something. Passed all my exams. And you got no, my daughter, the one with the, the master's two degrees now, like that. Prays before she studies. Ask God to help her in everything she does. Ask us to pray for her. And then just comes in top five all the time. The whole life. What an example. I stare at her and I say, I wish I'd had the life you had. And I, I, I knew God a lot earlier. Colossians 3, uh, 17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father. You're going to play sport to the name. I used to read Psalm 18 before I played sport. Give God the glory. Do excellently. Don't always win, but we do excellently. Daniel 1, 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart, this young man, named Babylon, the city of sin, the city that God said he hated, wicked city. Most of the Israelites have sold out. They're eating what they shouldn't be doing, doing what they shouldn't be doing. But these young men, Daniel and his friends, stood up in an ungodly nation, with everything ungodly against them, and purposed in his heart. I'm not going to be like them. That he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And in Daniel 1.17 says, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Where, where are Daniels today, men and women? Can't you purpose in your heart that you're going to take a stand for God? We're going to be different from the world. We're going to live our lives to please God. We're going to be radical, dangerous Christians with armor and frightened and terrify the enemy forces around us. And we will drive them out. All right, what is my time? Is my slow right there? Okay. So breakthroughs come and we discipline our thoughts and desires to conform to the mind of Christ. It's not easy to do good things. If you're going to study to be a doctor, it takes years. If you're going to do things for God, it's not going to be easy. The flesh is going to do everything it can and demons to stop you doing God's work. Brush them aside. Uh, Philippians 4.8 Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there be any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We've got to start training our minds now. Get the junk out of our, our heads. Think godly things. Learn scripture. Say it over in your mind. It's building you. It's making you strong. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You, you don't realize what you're doing. You're building faith. You can't see it growing in you, but it's growing. Vision is the power that gives life. It looks at the natural realm from a spiritual perspective in order to decide what is required. Only then can things be seen with the eyes of God, and the things which do not exist yet can be called as if they did. Philip, uh, Romans 4.17 says, Even God who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. You've got a child who can't do maths. We call him mighty man of maths. Every morning, we speak it into him. And you know, we, we call those things out of him. And I want to tell you, in 36 years of ministry, we see it work. One young child, struggling at school, came forward for prayer. Struck can't uh, do her maths and her science and that properly. Uh, she must have been about 10 or 11. Now, a couple of weeks ago, 
She came forward, we laid hands, we rebuked it, we prayed over it in Jesus' name. In one week, there was a difference in her school. One week, she came back, she said, I could do all my maths this week. The mother's over the moon. We have the power of the universe behind us. We have God's armies behind us. The resources of the kingdom of God behind us. Why are we failing? Nothing's impossible to us. Vision can be re reproduced by a successful leader. Jesus' vision was to redeem mankind from eternal damnation. What a vision. Almost mission impossible, save the human race. But he came. And he, did, and he went for it. And it wasn't going to be easy. And I want to tell you something that when Jesus was on the cross, he was in the center of God's will. Are you going through a hard time? You can still be in the center of God's will. Right where you are right now. Embrace it. Older Christians learn to embrace trials and tribulations. I had a friend, an old Christian, asked God for trials and tribulations. I haven't got that for you. Because <laughs> he just knows God's going to deliver him. Doesn't care. Your darkness will pass. Three days, everything changed after Jesus was on the cross. The world's worst moment, darkest hour, three days, everything changed. Same with us. Any Christian can tell you that. You, you, you dig in, you double your Bible reading during hard times. You double your prayer time. You just keep going. And when you wake up one morning, it's over. And we, again, back in the victory. So, the vision could only be accomplished through paying the high price of shedding his blood and dying on the cross of Calvary. And then to find faithful and dedicated people to carry this message to the ends of the earth. So, only 12 changed the world. You say, but I'm only one. I've got people say, I'm the, I'm the only Christian in the Muslim company. I'm saying, well, praise God, man. <laughs> That's the best place to be. You're the only Christian in the Muslim company. We're going to win these guys to Christ. Or we will make such a stand that they'll know that there's a God in heaven. We must accept these challenges that are given us. Are you the only Christian in university? Praise God. Now you're going to make many. Alright. So our task is to adopt his vision and reproduce it in others. Sharing the message of salvation. Strategies for success in achieving your vision. Declare successes for you. We've got to start talking positive. We are never defeated. We are never beaten down. We never give up as Christians. It's not in our language. We don't even talk like that as Christians. We, we, we get knocked down when we get up again. You know, and we are always going to win. And we're always on the right side. And it doesn't matter even if we got wounded, we will stand up again and win the battle again. God in His sovereignty and grace has made it possible for anyone to succeed. In the New Testament, we don't have the superstar prophets of the old days, the Elijahs and the Elishas, which was God's voice on the earth. We are all born again. The hobo is born again. The rich man is born again. You born again. We all start with a clean slate. And what you become is up to you. How much are you going to put into the kingdom? If you're going to do nothing, well, then you're going to go nowhere. But if you're going to step up in the things of God, you will be called up higher. You, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. 
Meaning that we grab the things of God by faith. And we go forward believing God and doing great and mighty things for God. You've got to take the step first. You've got to move forward first. You've got to show God that what's in your heart. You've got to go do the outreach. Not wait in your chair until some anointing falls on you from heaven. The anointing comes when you're doing it. Go do God's work. And do lots of it. Let it consume your life. People are lost and broken out here. I'll tell you that. The world is without hope. You will find people to talk to. So we need to stir up our faith in the Lord and His provision and think like conquerors. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Success does not come easily. It must be pursued, which requires a willingness to risk the unknown. We cannot afford to be captive to past failures or live on past glories. You have a lot of questions. Ten years ago, I led that guy to Christ. We can't be talking like that. We can't live on our past glories. We've got to do things now for the Lord. It's now's the time to do things. We need to press forward. Then like Paul, we'll be able to declare, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. He said he's like the chief of sinners. He said he was the chief of sinners. He caused, caused Christians to lose their salvation. Had them killed. God made an example in, in, in bringing Paul in. To show us that any of us can be saved. And Paul said he's forgetting, he's not sitting there bemoaning about his past now every night. He said, I'm forgetting those things, I'm going to do things for God now. Persevere. There's a danger we may become frustrated and discouraged if the desired results are not quickly achieved. But we need to be encouraged by the principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Get the never-give-up spirit of Christ. The kingdom of God, all the, the, uh, um, the prizes of the, in Revelations are to the overcomers. To him who overcomes, to him, uh, I'll give him a new name. To him who overcomes, I'll give him a crown. All the promises of God to overcomers. There's no reason for you not to overcome. Jesus did everything for us. To be delivered from sin, weakness, uh, whatever you, problem, fear, anything you've got in your life. We can overcome it. So we need to obtain success even though there are many trials. We don't worry about the trials. There's going to be trials. We don't care about that. But go through adversity. Have dreams. Only those with defined and noble dreams will be able to reach the top of the ladder of success. If you have a big dream, it is possible you may be able to change history, the history of a whole nation. There are so few Christians, guys, you know, that actually step up in the faith. I wanted to tell you that. There are so few. Be that Christian. The eyes of the Lord that run to and fro upon the earth will look at you and notice you. And your name will be known by the angels of God. Step up. Be a champion for God. Nehemiah dared to dream that the walls of Jerusalem would be rebuilt. It was impossible. A blackened city that had been brought down to the ground, every brick thrown down, blackened by fire. It must have looked like a Mad Max city when Nehemiah got there. But Nehemiah had a vision for the city of God to be built. And it was not easy. There were enemies every day shooting arrows at them, snipers, trying to shoot them off the walls. 
They fought with a sword in one hand and a trial in the other, like you will have to do in this world. We're building, but we've got a sword in our, in our hand as well. And he was able to achieve against all odds, assassins trying to come in the city at night and kill him. You know, and all kinds of odds, enemies surrounding them constantly, baying like wolves in the dark. But in 52 days they built the walls of Jerusalem, shocking the entire world. It was impossible, those giant stones, they got them up under fire. What is you going to do for God in your life? So a godly dream requires a firm commitment of getting to know God's thoughts and then in faith to apply all our resources and realize our dreams. I'm just show you a short clip and then it's going to be the end, but I think our earlier Christians understood this about the war that you're called to. You're not given armor for sitting at home, cooling off in, in your seat watching the latest series. You're not given swords and shields to sit and do nothing and leave it lying in the corner. And some people's shields are so small because they've got no faith in this size. So when the enemy shoots arrows, which the Bible speaks of in Ephesians and in Psalm 91, when the arrows of the enemy fire towards you, you've got this little shield of faith trying to hold it up and they hit you all over your body. And then you're depressed. And then you've got anxiety. And then you've got fear. The arrows of the enemy. Unable to conquer it. We've got a generation of fear and depression at the moment. Depression is demonic. You can win with the weapons of God against it. You need to step up Christians and fight these enemies. But these early Christians, you know, they wrote wonderful hymns, but this one hymn says, the writer says, bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand, till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. Think Blake wrote that. The old Christians called it building Jerusalem upon the earth, extending the kingdom of God beyond the earth, driving our devils out of, the, out of our suburbs, out of our areas by war, by prayer, by witness, by whatever means that all the weapons of God we apply there until we defeat them out of our suburbs and we extend the city of Jerusalem here on earth. They called it extending the city of Jerusalem here on earth. I like that book. Where we bring peace, joy, no fear, no crime into our areas. Through spiritual warfare. Let's be those Christians. Don't say, oh, there's so much crime in my area. Do something about it. So where are they living? Let's go there. Let's go talk to them about Christ. I'm telling you, you'll be surprised. Even the worst drug lords open the doors, let us come and pray for them. I'm telling you, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. You think they wouldn't, but they do. Ah, we the church, we're coming to pray for people. Can we come pray for you guys? It's like eight oaks in these people. We just want to pray for you guys. And he says, okay, come in. <laughs> we go in and we give the gospel, pray for them. Let's make a difference. Take the battle to the enemy. Stop hiding away. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just pray for everybody here, Lord. I pray you stir up a generation of faith that will catch the torch thrown to us from generations before us, Lord. We now throw it to them. Lord, raise up 
Christian warriors here that will take your gospel to the ends of this earth, Lord. Lord, raise up Christians that will bring many to Christ, Lord. Raise up a generation without fear, Lord, who will conquer fear, depression, anxiety, and all the weapons of the enemy that he can throw at us. Lord, I pray for this generation that you'll raise them up in the name of Jesus Christ to represent you, to carry your flag into this world. In Jesus' name, amen.